This is part two of the conversation that I had with Miles Neal on the Today Dreamer podcast. Welcome to the show, by the way, and thank you for your moment of presence here with me now. Thank you for engaging with the episodes. If this is your first time here, Today Dreamer is all about helping you cultivate the practice of presence in your life so that you be so that you may be better equipped to more deeply participate in the unfolding emergence of the collective world story. If you haven't heard part one and you don't know who Miles is, I would definitely go back and click on that episode first because most of this kind of stuff, although it will make sense, um, it's, I think you'll be better primed with the first episode. Um, so yeah, let's get into this second part of this opening and insightful conversation with Dr. Miles Neal. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of in this space now of just feeling into almost like our conversation as an analogy of this story. And we're kind of in this neutral zone now. So we've gone through kind of the the bigger picture to begin with, but then we kind of got into the kind of thick of it. And now we're kind of starting to kind of, you know, um I guess build the momentum in the other direction. So what does that begin to look like? And what happens to her or you know, um, anyone from this point, how do we kind of, you know, this seems to be what comes up for me is it's is a progressive thing, um, which requires gentleness with oneself and also patience and understanding of where you've come um, rather than a focus on where you want to be. And there's this sense of kind of, okay, now things are kind of starting to build. There's a bit of momentum here and there's a purification of the, of the nervous system that's taking place through, um, you know, these kind of positive reinforcements. Now the spirals starting to kind of change direction. Although, yeah, I mean, the biggest spiral. So, so yeah, what happens from this point? What, what you know, um, how does this kind of progress? Very slowly. Mm. And I think that's important to really say because we are, now amidst a very sensationalized media propaganda spin on health and wellness yeah. industry that is promoting yeah. quick fixes, instantaneous results, uh, magnificent optimization and biohacks, you name it. And I'm not a fan. I'm actually an outspoken critic of some of these things, which gets me a bad rap all over again, which I don't mind. But I, I just think our culture goes in the wrong direction. Well, it's almost like by slowing down, it's a tortoise in the hair, isn't it? Like by slowing down, you're actually moving, right? Um, and when when you see, this is what seems to be, from my perspective, is when you when you speed up and you 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 try to rush or or you you want these quick fixes, it I think it kind of stagnates us or even sends us the other direction sometimes. Yeah, I don't think it's effective. I think mm. you get. I think you get instantaneous results, but I don't think you get the long-term benefit. And I think it's a co-complicit between marketers who are selling these products for personal gain and fame and traumatized people who are hungry and, and yearning for relief that have fallen prey again to outsourcing their power. And they think that a six-week course on breathwork is going to actually, you know, change their life in six weeks. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it gets them really high and really stimulated and, and it gets their brain firing in all cylinder. But again, I don't think it deals with the underlying trauma. If we're in, if we're in the world of trauma healing, we have to look at it this way. Those relational wounds happened within the course of child development mostly. Child development is years in the making. So we're basically talking about therapy being reparenting in real time. We're talking about critical years that have been missed or abused or neglected or shamed, physically wounded, broken families, which took months and years off of people's lives in terms of the development or the progress, the natural progress of their psyche. And how could you expect to unlearn and repair those in six weeks, eight weeks, or 10 weeks or something like that? Hmm. 
I don't think these these biohacks and these I don't think that they have no utility and no value. I'm not saying that. Just as I'm not saying that mindfulness in a kind of secular environment has no benefit. I mean, I've I've researched it and I've studied the research. I mean, I did a PhD and did all the lit review, and it's clear that yes, you can take mindfulness out of the Buddhist tradition. You don't have to subscribe to karma theory or consequentiality or worldview or any of the things that we're talking about. And in eight weeks, you can get some sort of stress reduction, some sort of decrease in depression. Yes, that is all true. On the other hand, if we're talking about chronic wounding to the soul, what makes people tick, how they see themselves, something as core to the bone as how they see themselves and how they see the world, this takes time. This takes time to repair. This takes time to process. So we have to say that first and foremost. But yes, we are turning the corner. It's slow baby steps with lots of regressions in its long stretches of time. And it's not being dependent on just the therapist alone, which is also a danger of therapy. It becomes you, you have to spread this thin. It takes a village. I'm recruiting from her in the course of this therapy. Once I get her buy-in and I have, she feels supported by me and she understands the philosophy, she understands the trajectory, she understands the mechanism, I'm also trying to help recruit healthier people for her to be around. She needs to go to that Al-Anon group. She needs to find actually a good, decent human being to be her boyfriend and be there present and all of those kind of, because we're, we're always mirroring ourselves with other, other creatures, other humans, they all now become reinforcement contingencies. They're all working on helping her see that she's a valuable person that deserves of love and that people are willing to hold her in positive regard in the full spectrum of her emotional range. Imagine you start to have six, seven people like that. Imagine you start to live with people like that. That's what it means by raising a kid. It takes a village. That's what we're doing. So, I mean, and at the end of the day, she sees herself as an agent of change in her whole life. Now, this is really important. She understands that it's both a village and that she has her own inherent power, that she's the captain of the ship. She's the captain of her ship, and it takes a village. It's a nice, actually, synergy, not a contradiction. Mm. Uh, these, these binaries, you know, they often really require these false binaries, like in the United States, is this, the political landscape is filled with polarization. On the one side, you have conservative values. On the other side, you have progressive values. And they're seen as opposition. And there isn't respect, and there's now no long, no tolerance or no threshold for tolerance for each other. But these binaries, you know, there really requires a synergy or a middle way. And people go, what are you talking about? They couldn't be, they're miles apart. Well, no. Aren't cons some conservative values are really actually essential to, the, to preserving and maintaining uh, human life and the status quo so that it's not, doesn't get upended, you know? For, like here's an example. I don't know if you have this in Australia, but <clears throat> there is this gun rights versus uh, gun bans. If you look at it, this idea of people who want guns and then people who want to ban them from a trauma-informed point of view, and you look at it from the point of human beings des 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 desire safety fundamentally in the root chakra, the people that are for guns, can you now see it from the point of view of their wish or desire for safety? Mm -hmm. And then for the people who don't want guns, can you see it from the point of view of their wish or desire for safety? Definitely. Yeah, so it's like, can you look at that mm. and start to see what's underneath all of these contentious debates on the surface of the waves of the ocean, at the very depth of it, we just want the same thing. We're just going about it in different ways. At least come to that conclusion, which is a very, we're not there at all. 
we're not there. We don't have that shared understanding anymore. So bringing it back to this girl and kind of her own process, as well as the contribution from the village. So her understanding of her own agency and the almost like the flexibility in life and how, um, you know, a lot more may be possible than she may realize. And, and she's almost the, the key holder to that door. Um, mm, beautifully put. And then nice. also there's this, you know, um, village element where what comes through to me is this idea of, you know, the people you surround yourself is almost um, who you become and that shapes and informs and holds you in times of kind of struggle and also times of celebration. So just kind of blending these things together, she starts to feel more alive and she starts maybe for the first time in a, in a very long time, probably longer than she could ever remember, begins to feel, um, <laughs> you know, that, that there's change in the air and mm. that, that she's not so stuck and maybe all those emotions and expressions we were kind of throwing out there earlier have been shifted. Um, what takes place from that point? Well, the, but the budding of self-confidence and self-acceptance, which is the new energy. It's the new source of openness. So the more that she enacts, puts into place the new trajectory, and it actually comes around to roost as a moment of validation or a moment of being held or a moment of being seen or a moment of being accepted, there is like a child that is getting the nutrients like a flower. It, it, it's getting the sunlight, the, the soil, and the water it needs to grow. And it's reinforcing. It's very slow, and it's very steady. And over time, she grows this sense of self-worth, self-acceptance, and confidence. Now she's like a new person. This is called rebirth, metaphorically. Mm. I mean, this case is a real case with a real woman that I worked with for several years. She came in very dysfunctional, borderline suicidal at 19. And I saw her all the way through graduation and into post-grad. And she now is a social activist. She has a job. You know, this is many years ago. So I, you know, by now I assume she has a family of her own. But she gained her own agency and she, she built from the ground up a new life worth living. And that is the message. That's a microcosm message of this karma theory and of this, um, the heart of Buddhism is that everything is open and love matters. Everything is open and love matters. Everything is open means that the woman that came in at 19 was never truly who she was. If, if, if it were true that the woman that came in at 19 was who she was, there would be no point to trying to do the therapy. You follow? Mm -hmm. So everything is open, the Buddha said. And how many people right now are listening and feeling helpless? the infinite horizon of possibilities have narrowed and closed for them. They actually are convinced who they are is who they are, and the way the world is is the way the world is, and there's no, no possibility of moving the dial at all in any direction. And possibly, I can, I can tell you in my own life, I've been there many times. I have my own trauma history and my own history of demons and depression. And I have felt quite a few times that there was nothing I was going to be able to do. This, this was just my fate, and this was just who I was. And so, one of the, yep. Sorry. Well, we have in Christianity this idea of you are born in sin. And I'm not saying that's the optimal interpretation of the, of the Christian message, but it's a popular one. It's a mainstream one. The alternative in Buddhism is that you're... Your nature is open. Your nature is open. Now, that's not saying you're an angel, and it's not saying you're a demon. It's not saying you're a sin, you're a sinner, or you're 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 an, you're, you're 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 wonderful. It's just saying that your nature is open. You're pliable. Now, we have the 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 the. We have a term in neuroscience that is akin to this, which is 
your brain is neuroplastic. We have a term called neuroplasticity, which means that the old belief that we had that the brain was hardwired and fixed after a certain age and never would never could change again was completely revolutionized in the last few decades so that we now know because of experience we can shift the brain, change the brain, rewire the brain. Well, then I came up with a term from the Buddhist tradition using this neuroscientific term of neuroplasticity. I call it soul plasticity. The 19-year-old girl that came in naturally possesses soul plasticity. Hmm. And that's what the Buddha was talking about when you hear the term selflessness, anatma. The Buddha was talking about selflessness. He was talking about soul plasticity, saying consciousness is malleable. It's never fixed. Whoever it is that you think you are, whatever you think the world is, how intractable, how calcified, how rigid, how narrowly defined it feels, it is always at its heart open. Then the second part of the statement, the world is open, reality is open, love heals. Love is what she needed, and love is what she found, and love is what creates the sense of flourishing. Not in eight steps, not in six weeks, <laughs> but, but there is, there's truth to it. There's truth to it. That is the condition for flourishing precondition for flourishing love and the thing is is it's once it's received then it can be extended and there's a karmic implication for the consequentiality so whatever hero's journey you're on that got you to this podcast you're inspired to help people you want to reach people with a good message that's love if there's ever any confusion about what you're doing podcasting you can just reduce it down to your intentionality. I want to spend some time talking with other people, bringing in good messages, broadcasting them across platforms so that they arrive at the right time to the right people who need to hear it. That is your interaction and your intention with love. And that is karma. That's karma. In the moment, it may not feel great for you. Maybe you're tired after a day of podcasting. Maybe you didn't get enough likes or you didn't get enough comments or criticisms or whatever. That's, you know, everyday, you know, mundane interactions. Okay, we'll have to work through those. But on the broad spectrum of things, that intentionality, they say, comes back to roost in only one way, which is a sense of internal satisfaction. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that and sharing that. I guess um, for me, what I was kind of feeling into, like even it's, it's yeah, it's an interesting thing to play with this distillation of, of an ambition, which is quite clear for me. But then, you know, once I start um, moving it out through the elements into some kind of specifics, like, for example, the podcast or whatever it may be, writing a book or, um, you know, um, holding like spaces for people or, or like you do with the pilgrimages going out on adventures and sharing through experiences communally. Um, once that part of, of the kind of process comes into being, things get a little bit like um, it's never enough or something. And there's something about the essence, the pure purity of that essence of, that's always holds true. That's quite a beautiful thing to come back to. And I guess if that's kind of there, I'm just kind of thinking um, emerging thoughts out loud, but maybe it doesn't matter so much, or maybe it does. I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but something else is coming up. Um, this idea of, um, I think you wrote it down as choiceless awareness or non-meditation. Mm -hmm. And I've got a curiosity around that. So I'm not sure if they're linked, but just thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> well, the, the first one I think is as good. I mean, the first point about it's complex, right? We don't just have pure intentions. We have, we, we vacillate between our intentions. intentions. So maybe a pure intention is like, 
I simply want to create the conditions for people's well-being, and I detach from any of the results. That's mm -hmm. about as pure. That's about as pure as we can get. They talk about this in a lot in the Bhagavad Gita. It's like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make my offering, and I'm not gonna be attached to the outcome, whether people like it, whether it lands well. The fruits of the action, yeah. The fruits of the action, yeah. Unfortunately, we at a micro scale we vacillate between the most fearful parts of our being and the most honest and open. It's not like you're you're you haven't you're not fully awake and you're not fully um, coming from just one place. In any given moment, you could re retreat back into a place of scarcity and feel like, oh, well, I'm not getting enough traction on my podcast, or I didn't like that comment, how dare they, or whatever. You can, and then, and then you can, and that, and that has tumult in your mind. It makes the work hard, right? Because you go to bed feeling like you're not validated, or people don't care about the work, and then you get fixated on that, and then it sends you into, I don't know you, and I don't know your history, but you know you, and you know your history, and you know your loops. Yeah. So the work, the work is kind of secondary, whether you're a podcaster, therapist, pilgrimage guide, counselor, educator, it doesn't really matter. It's just that's the field in which your soul is operating. And the work is calibrating yourself to be as present and as open and as loving, and then watching the places and the times where you re regress into these old loops. Mm. And, and that's what your mind, to bring it back to mindfulness, I mean, many people listening right now are going to know how to sit down and follow their breath. And they're going to know that the next instruction on mindfulness and following the breath is when you get distracted, don't judge yourself. It's normal and natural. Just simply bring yourself back to the breath. And what I'm saying is that mechanism of recognition and choice is precisely what you apply in the gap when your whole being wants to go binge drink and, and sleep with the wrong guys. If you bring recognition, and then you have a choice, that's going to change your life. That's going to that's that's what that's what births a new life. So the simple thing on a meditation cushion of following the breath when you get distracted, recognize you're distracted without any further complication. Come back, make the choice to come back. Gets applied to your own evolution. That's what I mean, to come back to the article, that's the point I was really trying to make. That's the main point. That's what the Buddha was talking about. This thing called meditation, when you combine it with view and you combine it with uh, virtue, you create life. You create new life. Not just for yourself, but for others. Choiceless awareness. What do you know about choiceless awareness? Because it, it, it's very likely that choiceless awareness means different things in different contexts. What, where are you coming from? What does it mean for you? I'm not quite sure. And that's what kind of I asked that I feel like if I could try to feel into an answer, but I kind of read the chapter and everything kind of felt like it, it rang true and made a lot of sense. And then I got really interested about that kind of phrase. And I, I really wanted to know what you meant by it in that context. Um, so yeah, I might just throw it back to you if that's okay, because <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, yeah, it just got real. It just, it felt like it's just screaming at, it just screamed at me, like ask him about this. This is, so this there, feels there significant. Wonderful, wonderful Buddhist traditions of cultivating the mind. Mm -hmm. And the mind is very well known and its landscape is very well articulated. Uh, and there can, is I, a, can I throw something in? I think I've got something I just want to add. Sorry. Yeah, just jump. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is what it is, but this is kind of something that came through to me just now. And it just felt like screaming out like I, I had to mention it. Um, I just picturing the idea of being kind of naturally pushed by the wind and following that vibe or energy from an intuitive sense, like you're kind of called to where you need, where you need to be, um, by kind of things that arise. So it's not like you're making the choice anymore. It's almost like you're just in the flow of that. 
Um, that's what kind of came up, but I could mm -hmm. be totally off. Um, um, well, with that, with that, with that definition, you could also say that the flow could take you. The flow could also take you into sleeping with those guys, right? You know, I, I don't know. Also... I th I think if you're in harmony with it, I think it does the opposite of that because that's that's what rings the alarm bells and 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 allows that little break in the chain to take place. Mm. So that this is this is good. This is a good conversation. This is why it's important to define the term and where you're coming from, how it how it lands. Um, so now you're talking about choiceless awareness being more like the flow when you're unencumbered or impinged by your negative karmic propensities. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. And and not to say that it's wrong or to just to say that it's different where I was going to come from is more from the soul plasticity point of view. The choiceless awareness is that there is this fundamental... Just like I was making the distinction between do you you're fundamentally live in sin or are you fundamentally open? If you're fundamentally open, if your nature at its most base level is fundamentally open, is it a choice? If your nature is already open, and what when we mean your nature, we can say your consciousness, your awareness, your soul is already open. Its nature is open. Then it's not really a choice. It's choiceless awareness. Your your nature is already choiceless awareness, and everything else is habit. So this is like flipping or inversing the four noble truths. We don't have time to really go into it, but there's this idea that instead of coming from sin and going towards enlightenment, you flip it on its head and you say, you're basically already enlightened, you're already choice, you're already awake, your nature is already open, your soul is already plastic. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do, you don't have to create those conditions. Those conditions pre-exist. Everything else is part of the friction created by habit. So the choices that we're making are the choices to allow those habits to run their course and then to come back and rest in the original nature. Once you're resting in that original nature, you're resting in choiceless awareness. There's not choices. It's already there. They, they, there are a lot of people that talk about this as you're already free. Is freedom a choice? You're already free. It's already your nature. It really changes the quality of everything. It's really optimistic. It's a wonderful, empowering message to tell people you're already free. It doesn't deny that you, you can bang your head up against the, the rocks. We're doing that constantly. But which one would you prefer to come from the message that you're a sinner and there's no way out unless you you do these things, or that you're already free, and every time you're bumping a rock, you have a chance to come back to your freedom. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, <laughs> a beautiful beautiful thought to feel into, and I feel like there's there's a real truth to that. Um, and I guess it is it could be seen as a matter of perspective, but it it, it does feel quite liberating that thought within itself. And and just the idea of almost like, you know, at at, at the core, we, we're already, and in a way, we're, we're here already. And there's a sense of like, just an unpeeling that takes place rather mm. than having to get somewhere, mm. having to achieve something. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that also brings in the earlier point about there's no rush, you know, because it, it, if you if you look at it as kind of this sense of peeling back um i think it for for me anyways it takes away that sense of rush that mm. allows me to kind of okay well it's kind of happening already yes yeah naturally by you know the different medicines of life mm. Mm. Beautiful.
<laughs> I suppose we could kind of leave it at that, Miles, if you wanted to. Um, yeah, I kind of had a couple of small kind of questions around um, just, I guess there were more personal things, but I'm not sure if you have time for that. I was just going to check in with you, how you're going with time. and Yeah, if, a couple if, more if, questions is fine with me. I'm, I'm in a very relaxed mood. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, kind of, I guess I've, I've been... nowhere to be. I'm in uh, no rush. No, it is. You don't seem to be in no any rush. <laughs> yeah, we're here. We've, we've arrived. <laughs> um, I guess, I guess on a personal level, I've, I'm kind of, I'm in this space where I really, I really admire what you've, you know, you talk about walking in two worlds and having a foot in each one. And there's something I really admire about that. And I think for a lot of my life, I've probably been conditioned into this rush mode, you know, from school, I, I was kind of, um, I finished school, I think, uh, I think I was um, from memory, a little bit younger than everyone else. And I finished school earlier. And I had this idea of, you know, comparison coming up quite often. And I think that may be kind of part of the source of a fraction of it, of where this comes from. But I've been really called to deepen my education recently. And I think that's, there's something about your work that really appeals to me because there's been this kind of not really knowing where to go from this point and feeling in some sense really open but in and, and trusting as well so that happens but then i also get the flip side of that where it's like i just don't know what the next step is and i'm, I'm ready and i'm open and just take like you know screaming out take me and use me as you will i'm ready to serve mm. but i just don't have any um there's nothing i mean there's things that are naturally happening but nothing, if I'm really feeling into the flow of them, they're going to happen anyways. And it might might be one of the choices awareness thing came up. It seems like there is a friction point there for me. But um, I've been really called to kind of deepen my studies with Buddhism. And, um, you know, I'd love to just go into a monastery and spend some time, um, you know, deepening my practice and actually deepening the practice side of things rather than the intellectual kind of um wisdom aspect i'd rather actually you know get up at 5 a.m every day and 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 kind of have have give hold some get someone to hold my hand in that process would be beautiful although i realized this idea of making your home your monastery is still an active you know exploration um and then the other side or even just to go study something at university that i've always been interested in like buddhism um would be so uh, refreshing because I've always studied things that I didn't really care about. So mm. at, at school, I mean, um, but then the idea of university and all the writing and academic side of things really kind of makes me feel overwhelmed because I'm not very good at that. Maybe that's why I admire it so much in your work. And then the other side of it is kind of the psychology aspect, which I'm also really fascinated in, especially Jungian psychology for some reason, or, you know, psychoanalysis, however it's put. And wanting to kind of deepen studies in that area but then again that's like a five-year course and there's all this kind of and i've got all these kind of projects that i'm it's it's kind of like the spending the time to, to deepen education again reminding myself that there's no rush is helpful here but there's this idea of it kind of being um yeah it's almost like well do i really need to do that to help now like the world is in need people are in need now you know um like how do i measure what i'm doing and, and what, do, what yeah where do i actually point my intention and focus it's 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 just this whole process is a little bit confusing for me i thought maybe because you're actually in between those two worlds of of psychoanalysis and buddhism and quite beautifully actually quite synchronistically maybe you might be someone to bring this up with and maybe you had something to share that could um you know um I don't know. I don't know what. Michael, can I ask how old you are? 32 in April. So when was the last time uh, you did a, a long course and committed to study? When was, the, was, it, was it just uni? Was there any post-grad? No, I did like, my, my journey's been into like advertising. So I, I did, um, uh, I went to like a TAFE after, after high school 
and that was really short. I, I, I found a lot of shortcuts. So I only did uh, my whole thing in life has been finding shortcuts and now I'm unraveling the karmic effects of that. So um, <laughs> this is actually quite relevant to what we were talking about. But um, yeah, I, I did this at, at TAFE for, I found a really short kind of couple year course. And then I did a six week school on creativity, um, which is worth more in the industry than three years at university. So I just did that. And then, you know, I got accepted and I did that. And then I just went straight into the industry and then kind of rose up really quick and realized that that wasn't, you know, that just felt really kind of wrong. Um, mm. So that, that was kind of my journey, but that's been, yeah, I haven't even worked in the advertising industry for years, for many years. And, and that was when you know, early twenties or something, when I completed all those courses and stuff. I only ask because I get, I get these questions really often actually. And I think it is a, could be a generational thing, but it's definitely a contextual thing where people are at a crossroads. We are amidst a transition and, and no wonder it's confusing. One of the confusions that often comes up is, is it worth it for me to take an academic route and commit to a long course of study and pay a lot of money for a bona fide profession? I mean, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you're asking, but it does come up in my experience with people coming to me saying, I'd love to do something similar to what you're doing. I have, I'm at a crossroads. I'm either transitioning from a career or I'm coming out of university. I'm thinking what the next step is. There, there's this one route, which is a very traditional route to go back to graduate school. Could be anywhere between three and five years. Could be anywhere, in, at least in the United States, between fifty dollars and $100,000 of debt. And then on the other side, there is, you know, should I just go to a monastery? Should I just, you know, go this sort of personal route, do some personal experience and and have some doubt about where I might end up, and especially in terms of can I make it applicable to a career? This is a very common conundrum, and I don't know if that's somewhere in the vicinity for you. It's, it's definitely in the vicinity, yeah. And I've got also, I've got a, I've got a five and a half year old son who's really much... Um, kind of filled my heart in the last few years of just the you know relational space and there's really something that I, I want to give time and attention to in that that's kind of a, a big priority and that kind of stops me in a way from from the kind of monastery side of things because it doesn't make sense to leave without him um so there's that mm -hmm. as well so I don't know if that <laughs> makes any difference yeah it but, definitely but it does, does for me because all of these all all of these factors come into the equation. That's why it's a very customizable and very personal set of circumstances and considerations where you come from, what might be your demon or your blind spot that you're coming from, like what drove you in the past, why you ended up in advertising, how you realized it wasn't fulfilling, how you migrated to podcasting, all your network right now, the fact that you are, you know, you're in your early thirties and you have a son that you want to you know, spend time with. And I mean, I guess like, one of the things that I'm discovering about the way the world is turning is that I don't know if it's necessary anymore to go back to school and to take on debt. So much education is available at our disposal these days. It's really, I mean, it's incredible how much information is available, but it really requires a very discerning and mature person to be able to sort through it and apply it and put it into practice. And I know a lot of people now, young people who don't have degrees. I mean, it wasn't really an option when I was coming up, but now it is an option where people, more and more people are not professionally trained or not, they haven't gotten the degrees, but they've done shorter certificate courses and then they go and they do some coaching work or they work with people and they life have life experiences. And of course, there's pros and cons to both of this, okay? And I realize that. But I think the, I'm just looking, the way that I'm looking at it now is through how we started the podcast conversation with the larger astrological paradigm shift, people taking responsibility and not being so, not outsourcing so much to the big organizations. This is actually the astrology archetype that we're swimming in. That's why we see this, there's a changing of the guard. The old school idea was that you you had to defer to an educational process and then you became the educational bastion with your fancy letters behind your name. But now we're moving towards more lateralized 
decentralized power, which means people have it within them to really explore different avenues of self-empowerment. Now, that's going to have a whole shadow, and you can already see it. For example, in the um, psychedelic world, there are a lot of people that go for three to five day psychedelic experiences and they come out feeling like they've seen something extremely powerful, which they have, but then they also have a touch of grandiosity and they sort of feel like they're now some sort of guru or some sort of shaman, which is a kind of self-inflation. And it, and it is it is indicative that there hasn't been enough preparation on the on the on the entry and there hasn't been enough integration post integration and all i'm saying is that leave those outliers aside many more people are going to wake up and many as they wake up many more people are going to be able to serve others and they may find different avenues for training and for mentorship i actually None of my education made much sense to me. I was a terrible student. I totally identified with what you said. Like, I was a horrible student. I'm dyslexic. I can't spell right. No, I can't do... My foundations are horrible. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle I made it as far in academia as I did. But none of it really added up to me. The most essential part of my training was a 20-year apprenticeship or mentorship that I did with my teacher. That was the best education I ever had. It made me who I was. Not the hours and hours and hours of classwork, none of the academia, none of the hundreds of thousands of dollars for my three degrees, none of that. And I think that there is an opportunity in this sea change where we will have a kind of reverting back to old ways, old customs, more organic ways of learning, decentralized, which means these kind of big Harvard businesses, this is the end for them in the sense that they have inflated themselves so much. They're just capitalistic money-making machines. We've outsourced all our power. We've put them on a pedestal. We don't. It's not even clear we get that great education anymore from them. In, at the very least, we can all acknowledge that they're producing, like an assembly line, very cookie-cutter types of people. Hmm. And I think that we are amidst a sea change and a possible revolution where learning can happen in so many new and novel ways. We can create micro-communities for learning. We could create online learning. We can create little certificates for people who are both busy and parenting. We can create more mentorship. I hope we will return back to a mentorship model because I think it's just the most invaluable way to learn. If you want to learn to be a musician, go study with a violinist. If you want to be, you know, learn to, to be a craftsperson, go find the best goddamn craftsperson that you can find and, and sit with them and serve them tea and live with them and come visit with them every single day and do a kind of exchange course with them instead of shelling out $150,000 and becoming in debt for the rest of your life, which is a huge baggage on your soul. And it works both ways because the mentor, he or she, derives so much pleasure in delivering what they have known to a new generation. And so I just think, like, first and foremost, we have to listen to our intuition. If your intuition is calling you to deepen your study, then you must deepen your study. And if, you're, if your intuition is already clear that you'd rather the practical over the theoretical, then listen to your intuition. Then the only real question is, is how are you going to make that happen given your life circumstance, being a father, podcaster, paying your rent and all the rest of it? That's kind of my question. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. It's and it seems like a light thing to be, you know, at that point where it's now just need to figure out how, but it's actually I don't know. It can be, it can be okay. You know, there's there's an okayness to it, um, like uh, a comf being comfortable in that space. But uh, eventually, it, it gets a bit, um, you know, you can't sit in that space too long. It seems, you know. I think little um, 
I'm a big believer in the mythological aspect or dimension of life. I like to look at things from a mythological point of view. If you're a hero or you're a nascent hero on a journey and you're really receptive and you've got some clarity, there will be signs. Mm. They're coming. Yeah, that's a great reminder. And you can do a lot of praying. Now, most people look, that's when I lose a lot of my audience because I'm, again, I, I'm a big believer in intentions and I'm a big believer in the, the ritual offering in your own mind with your own intentions, creating a vision and creating the inspiration and creating the intentionality and drawing from the quantum field what it is that you need. If you need a teacher, pray and practice virtue and commit for a teacher. If you want a course, pray and practice virtue and a course will come. This is karma. This is karma put in scientific language. Your intention and your action, your ethical action, draw out of reality different life circumstances and opportunities. Hmm. So whatever it is that you want, intentionality, and I'm not a subscriber to the secret because I don't think it's all I don't think it's all positive thinking. I also think you have to have virtuous action. Yeah. Yeah. So your virtuous action is serving others by hours of podcasting and all the back end work that you're doing. So like you're going to close this podcast out and you're going to have several hours of back end work to make something happen for your viewers and your audience so that something might be delivered that would be meaningful and purposeful for their life. You have just banked that karma from your intentions and your actions. They call that merit. They call that merit. Yeah. Then in some sort of ceremony in your own mind, say with this merit, I dedicate this merit for the mm. things that I want to bring into reality. Ah, that that's wanna, interesting. That I want to manifest. Yeah. So it's okay to want a loving partner to arrive. It's okay to want a meaningful career to arrive. It's okay to want health to arrive. It's okay to want a teacher to arrive. But people don't, People don't really know how to bring those into being. And certainly things like The Secret have misled people because they think it's all just intention. Mm. No, you have to live a life of service. You have to make certain sacrifices. You have to, good, have to have good graft. You have to go to work. You have to make bread. You have to serve. I think uh, what you just highlighted there about it's okay um, feels really nice to hear, actually. Yeah. You know, that, that feels really good to hear. It's okay to want those things. Yeah, because yeah. remember at the beginning of the discussion, we said we've, we've entered into the non-dual world. We're not trying to just be pious Jesus lovers that want to ascend into heaven. Mm. We're, we're embodied human beings that want to live on this earth, and most of us are not are, are, are family members and, and, and social creatures. We're not monastics. Mm. So it's okay to have pleasure. It's okay to be in your body. It's okay to have joy. It's okay to celebrate. It's okay to want to have a good, meaningful life and work career and harmonious life with your children. These are okay in the yeah. non-dual world. Just yeah. know how you get there. And then rejoice. Feel, celebrate, have gratitude for these things. There's no distinction anymore between a home life and spiritual life. There's no distinction anymore. Your podcasting and your time with your kid is spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sometimes with the idea of kind of wanting these things or indulging, I sense, in these kind of pleasures in a sense of, um, you know, whatever think, they may think be. Think about it this way. If you're a happy Seems Michael, like, yeah. if, if you're a happy Michael, you're 10x more effective and more productive and, more, and, and spread a better message and are making a bigger impact. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. That really helps. That makes, yeah, I get what you're saying there. So there's, I mean, my, my teacher, Geshe Tenzin Zopa, who actually lives in Australia in Perth, he's a huge fan of enjoyment. He always reminds me, because I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. I'm a bit of a stick in the mud sometimes. My wife 
kicks me all the time. You need to lighten up. He yeah. whispers in my ear all the time. Enjoy. Sticking them mud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He says, enjoy, enjoy. If you're having a nice bowl of cereal or a nice bowl of porridge or whatever, there's a nice sunset. There's a good, you know, little playing around with your little kid yeah. there. Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy. And then make offerings. Offer it. And then he says that your joy becomes a gift. Mm. And you're just making merit. You're just making merit. And merit is another way of saying energy. You're harnessing energy. So enjoyment is central to the harnessing of energy, and energy is essential to the manifestation. So don't be afraid. Give yourself plenty of permission to enjoy. It's just there's a difference between that model of enjoyment and the hedonistic one that both you and I shared when we were in, in college. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. Sending a loving breeze of gratitude in your direction. Thank you so much for sharing space with us here and now. And if you want some more information about our guest, you can head over to todaydreamer.com and check it, check out the episode section on the page. Um, also, if you're someone that's interested in deepening your practice of presence, if you want to work together with someone to structure a spiritual practice whether it's an existing one or a new one and if you're looking to build consistency and define your ambition and recalibrate your trajectory in a way that's more in line with wholeness and in a way that contributes and participates more fully in the emergent world story and its blossoming then feel free to get in touch because i'm taking on a small handful of one-on-one -on -one clients spiritual friends um, and I'd love to speak to you. If you did enjoy this episode and you felt like you got something out of it, feel free to share it with your community. And if you feel like there's anyone in particular that could benefit from the space shared today, uh, I would really appreciate if you'd pass it on to them. And I'm sure they would too. And yeah, uh, I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you again, my friend, and be well. <laughs>